This podcast is brought to you by OnTrack Studio. Manifesting is bringing it into your psyche, into your cells. So for me, that looks like writing down in a beautiful journal. Um, everything that you wish to receive, that you wish to bring in into your world. Um, but writing it, not typing it. And starting it with I am or I have. Welcome, Kathy Carr, to the Stillness Everyday podcast. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. It's a real honour. So um, let's start by talking about what you do, what's your profession and how you help people. So I work as a holistic lifestyle nutrition and movement coach. I'm a yoga practitioner, Eldoa teacher, and over the last 27 years working with personal trainer and teaching group fitness, um, working all walks, working with all walks of life in four continents. Now I just work with women in midlife because I'm there and I just like to give them a kind of a, a hand to hold mm. to help them navigate this amazing stage of life. But I've worked with a lot of women, like young women, before pregnancy, post-pregnancy, um, men as well, but mainly with women. Yeah, awesome. So did you, was yoga first or was the Czech work first? Czech, um, well, I was teaching body balance. Um, so I was kind of in that kind of yoga, Pilates, Tai Chi, meditation kind of realm anyway. And then I did the um, holistic lifestyle coach. Yeah, so it was kind of yoga. Yeah, I was teaching yoga, but not certified as a yoga instructor per se but I went to India and did yoga after I was um did my HLC one the boys were um six and eight so yeah I'd been in the kind of Czech program for a couple of years yeah awesome what's it like doing yoga in India oh my gosh I guess I chose India because I wanted to go back to the source and the roots. Like, you know, there's all of these, so many different courses and, you know, I'm not about tying oneself in a knot. I don't feel less enlightened if I can't, you know, bring my nose under my legs and, you know, touch my butt. Um, so, But I wanted to get to the root, like where it's really originated from. And this website kept on coming up. So I went to um, Nasik, which is a um, yoga point in an ashram. So I stayed there for six weeks um, and lived and breathed the yogic lifestyle. So that was one of the best experiences of my life besides having kids. Um, Is that south or closer to the... Close, we're kind of northwest of Mumbai, so like four, six... Four to six hours, I say four to six hours because some depends on what route you take and depends yeah. on who's driving in India. I don't know if you've yeah. been to India before. I've but been to Nepal. It sounds like it's nearer it's Nepal. Not so, I don't, yeah, it, more, yeah, northwest of Mumbai. So, yeah, yeah. F- further up, definitely yeah, not, cool. not south. So, yeah, just live the life as a yogi, yeah, cool. yogini. And, awesome. yeah, I loved it. And that really changed the way that I approached life because I believe the way that we live life is yoga Mm. and, you know, it's hard to live that way, the yogic way, and I'm referring to like the eight limbs of Patanjali. Um, But I think the way that we approach anything mentally, emotionally, our ideas, our beliefs, the breath work, how we move, relationships, everything is really the way of living a yogic lifestyle, can simplicity. You, can you touch on those eight? The eight limbs. Eight limbs. Yama and yama, they're like the emotions, the way that we live our lives, the way that we do things, the way that we have an emotion or some an approach to someone, the way that we treat anything and everything in life. Um, it's also... Um, the 
pranayama, which is the breath work. Um, and breath work, I think, is being so emphasised now in different practices. The main, you know, breath work in ice baths and things, or prepping before ice baths. And I think this is awesome, but it's been around for so long. And then you've got the pratyahara, which is coming to withdrawing your self from your senses before you move into a focused state, before you move into meditation, before yeah. you reach samadhi or nirvana so it's those eight limbs um yama nyama prachahara pranayama asana asanas are the poses the postures that we do um but that's the only thing that we really focus on the Mm. uh, the pranayama and the asana in kind of western society just doing poses and some breath work and maybe five minutes of meditation at the end so they're the eight limbs and you know when I say I try and live my life that way, I mean, you know, in the yogic world, you know, we do no harm to animals. So, you know, I'm, I eat animals, but I bless them and I thank them. I have gratitude for the, the life force that they're bringing into me. So, yeah, that's kind of how I brought that into the way that I work with people as well. So everything that I've done with Paul um, I've also lived with Paul for seven. He, he and his business manager and partner at the time, Vidya, lived with us for seven weeks. So you know, to really understand how he lives and what he is as a person, that yeah. helped me um, be a better coach. And going through the personal and professional development mm. um, courses as well has helped. So everything that um, that we learn and uh, you know that we encompass and practice ourselves. Mm that's when we can impart, I think, and help others. So I do a lot, you know, when someone says, you know, what kind of yoga do you teach? It's like I do Kathy Carr yoga teaching. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, everyone's different. I know mean, I have yeah. the, the basics and the foundation, but I bring in the corrective exercise and stuff that I've learnt from Paul because, you know, I got injured um, from, I truly believe, from yoga, a back injury, and I've seen so many yoga instructors do that. So I encompass everything that I've learnt and bring that into how I work with the women that I work with today. Yeah, awesome. How do you, just going back to the do no harm to um, animals part, how did you navigate that? Kind of, Were you ever vegetarian? Never. Or you never were? My actual... Um, <laughs> I guess anxious moment before I went to India was, oh my gosh, what am I going to eat? Yeah. I'm going to be vegetarian for six weeks. Um, but we were allowed to, well, we had one day off a week, so we were able to go into town. So we'd go to a really nice restaurant so I could have some chicken and, you know, or some fish. Yeah. Um, it That wasn't a problem. It really wasn't. You know, I was probably more you know, bloated and constipated from the rice, which I don't really eat. But no, I've always eaten animals. Um, I've learnt to move into that path of having... Uh, just having love and affection and compassion and gratitude for everything, and this is which this is what I've learnt from Paul in one of the courses, and also um, in through the ashram is when we were eating. You know, it was best to practice silence, mm. so we can be with the food, so we can taste the food, so we can be with the life force energy. So Paul taught us when we have the meal in front of us you know, just to give thanks for it, you know, to give thanks to the animal for living its life, for dying, for contributing to my vitality and health, for the life force in me because it is kind of the circle of life, you know. So um, that's kind of how we do it. It's it's blessing and honouring the food that we're about to bring in to give me life, um, not always do it when I remember, yeah. um, but it was a beautiful practice. So that really carried over to doing no harm, mm. you know, doing no harm to others and to self. It's a very, um, it's something I've, I mean, it's a bit of a double think moment for me. But I like I have been plant based in the past when I, um, I don't know, maybe six years ago. But going through vipassana meditation and you know they talk about well even I mean they do mention you know doing no harm, but more when you're in that state you kind of don't want to do any harm like you can't actually imagine 
um, kind of slaughtering an animal um, in that state, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But now I'm in a diet where I'm pretty much only eating animals. So I'm kind of, I'm on, but I understand the, the health benefits for it. I can feel it, but then on the other side of my brain, I'm like still in that as well. It's like, it is a bit of a juggle when you think mm. from both sides. But um, yeah, I mean, you get into this state like day, day eight where you're, um, you've got to be so conscious of your, have you done a personal meditation? No, and there's yeah. a reason why. I've, I mean. There's been several um, times where I've gone to enrol. Yeah. But yeah, just something inside, so I don't. Don't do it. Anyway, by day eight, you kind of in such a like, I don't know. Like I was in this like pure bliss, like just so present of everything and just no thoughts, no mind, and you're just like so conscious of every every movement and every step that you wouldn't even want to kind of harm an ant, let alone that. So you get you're in kind of a state where you're thinking, you know, you wouldn't ever eat animals again. But then, um, but now I'm kind of doing the pasta as well as eating animals. So. I don't know. I and I kind of think that we. I don't know if we should be plant based, but um, I'm also open to it if someone wants to be. <laughs> yeah, and this come. Yeah, no judgment. What yeah. whatsoever. Um, you know, if someone in India they're vegetarian, and I know with Paul he went vegetarian for a while to experience it because that's what his soul was asking. Um, you know, and I I was fine on a vegetarian. Well, it wasn't complete vegetarian because we, you know, I was sneaking in that chicken, and yeah, they asked not to have coffee or things like that for stimulants. So, I guess to have more of a cleaner, an open vehicle um, to be able to tap in to your higher state or higher conscious conscious. Um, it's also when you're. It depends on the um, health of the animal as well. Um, yeah, I hear that. Like, if you're going into a deep meditation or even like a, a deep spiritual practice or spiritual journey, that you know, a lot of them won't eat meat because you can take on the energy of the animal. But you know, it depends, I guess, what your, you know, what your purpose is and your reason. Um, but there's never been any like vegan culture mm. ever, or solely vegetarian culture mm. ever on the planet. Um, but I totally understand why, mm. what the reasons. Um, yeah, so if you're eating animals, that's, you know, because we need them, I, you know, I just, uh, that is my belief, that's what's worked with me, That what's that's what makes me function and that's what's helped the clients that I've helped by getting them to eat animals, clean animals, healthy animals, animals that have a high vibration, that have a high life force that will give me the life force to thrive. I am um, just two things on that. One, the I mentioned it when I was interviewing um, Brady last week about this animal, this butcher up north when I was in um, Mission Beach, but they, the animal came from less than a kilometre away from their own farm, which they butchered the animal there. And you can definitely taste the difference on even the organs. Wow, yeah. So I just wonder whether the um, the stress of the animal travelling from there to a like abattoir all is um, going to, you know... All relevant. Yeah, all going to pass on the energy because with that heart, like going into a meditation with, you know, fruits or something rather than meat, I think, you know, you probably can tap into a higher um, vibration. Yeah, it, yeah, and if you are at the level where you can go deep, you know, you can feel the energy of if you know if you've had an animal. I know with the plant medicines, and um, you don't have an animal prior to going into a journey on that level because yeah, it can be pretty nasty unless you you don't know or unless you know where the animals come from. So you're in a less in, in less stress state. Most definitely, you know, we're all energetic beings with different frequencies and high vibrations. I tell you what, you know, having the two goats, you know, they're just so intelligent. It's amazing, like watching nature. Um, yeah, just they know. So I totally agree with ethical practices and, yeah, doing the best that they can, the farmers, with um, yeah, the ethical practices. And it would you definitely taste a difference. You can see, I mean, I'm 
haven't I have actually killed one of my chickens before, but you can see with just having chickens at home like how intelligent they are. Like, you know, they find their way <laughs> wherever they want, like they know where the food is, they're gonna find their way to the bag. Sometimes they'll come out and they'll just be sitting at the grain bag just it's like how did you even get in here? <laughs> so, yeah, and you come, you like touch the grain bag and they all come running. They can hear that's the sound of foods on the way. Wow, um, yeah. Do they forage though, don't they? Yeah, I've got yeah. most of them. I, I try not to feed them grain, but it's so hard not to. Yeah, that's yeah. Especially in Nambour, in the suburban yeah. block. But um, yeah. they do run around and, you know, I feed them not much grain compared to what mm. you would mm. if they were sitting in a cage in a factory. Yeah, totally. Look, you know, I gone into your Monday meets and I've looked, you know, you look at the selection there, which is a beautiful selection and then when I saw Moroccan goat sausages, I'd like something like, it's really interesting because I think I have such a deeper, closer connection to goats. I don't mm. think I could eat goat well, again. Yeah, I was going to ask you, could you kill your goat? No. Now, I say that now because I can get food elsewhere. Yeah. I've yeah. never been in that circumstance touch wood that this won't happen <laughs> where is it <laughs> there it is or is that wood that's wood yeah. um that i won't wood, have to yeah, yeah you know that we're not going to have to get yeah. to that point growing my food yes but yeah. i don't think i'd yeah what? i just yeah i'm not in that i'm not in that yeah. um position to do so when i first started I think that's also, like, when I first got chickens, I stopped, um, well, I just stopped eating chicken. I mean, I'll eat it now, but it's just, I don't know, there's some, it's probably the same thing with goats. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is, but. You'll eat the eggs, though. Yeah, well, when they lay. <laughs> when they lay. I'm not taking no, no laying, they, they I'm do. not taking no laying chickens. <laughs> <laughs> I think they do. I just think they've actually found another spot in a bush since I let them run around everywhere. Ah, uh-huh. smart. Um, yeah, what was I going to say on the um, the grain thing? It's actually, it is interesting to have eight, I think you've got eight chickens, maybe seven, but to monitor how much grain you're giving them and thinking about how much energy goes into farming that grain to then feed the chicken, if you know what I mean. Like if you can raise the chickens on what you've got, like the land, and you're not actually farming grain just to feed a chicken. Mm. It's not as much energy. Mm. But if you think about that, that, those grains getting farmed and then sent and packaged up and then sent to then feed them, Processed, to keep them alive, and then sprayed. it's like well, how much energy goes into that egg mm. um, and is that sustainable? Mm. It's a lot to think about. That's, yeah. yeah. That's another <laughs> rabbit hole. It is. <laughs> so um, let's talk about the uh, meditation what meditation do you do if you've not done a Vipassana? I do all sorts. I can do a guided, do a body scan, um, or I just drop in to that void, which I have can kind of do pretty easily now. Mm. Um, from doing that, um, I feel that my intuition has definitely grown. I do... Yeah, just usually it's just a breath focus. It's just because I think when you've got that practice, that it is easier to drop into that place. I'm not going to name the place because I think um, you know when you're trying to do or when you're meditating, it's not when you're trying. When people try to meditate, they're trying to get to a place. What is that place for you is different to me. So, yeah, the meditation. Is um, can be very different, but usually it's just dropping in, listening to the breath, body scan, and then mm. I've done many different ones, so but not vipassana. Can you? Would you? Um, do you ever take people through a guided meditation? I have done so. Yeah, I did oh, on my program. I did that for the ladies as well, just a guided meditation, whether it be just being here with what is. Mm. What's arising, you know, emotions, thoughts, what's happening in the body, focusing on the breath, again, body scan. Yeah, cool. Um, some visualization. We're, we're developing a, we're just in the process of developing a meditation app at the moment, but um, we've got in the Stillness Journal, I don't know if you've seen it, but have, scans well, to the, the website. the first thing I saw when I walked into this studio. Oh, really? I was like, what's that? What's that? <laughs> 
So this you can scan the QR code and go to a meditations on the website. Would you record one? I'd love to record one. Thank yeah, awesome. you so much. <laughs> oh my goodness. Big honors. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Um let's touch on the um the dancing on your Instagram. What <laughs> what's the dancing about? Is it to um for movement, joy, <laughs> remain youthful? D, all of the above. All of the above. Yes, um, the dancing. I think because they're doing it, why can't I do it? Who's there? They are on what I'm seeing on the socials. Uh, right. This reels thing came out, so I thought that's cool, that's fun. I'm going to try that. I'm a bit of a da- I'm a big dag, um, <laughs> and I think it's a part of me that. A friend of mine and actually one of my darling healers and energy goddesses or energy angels, she said it's it's really your child like coming out, my inner child, my playful side because that is who I am. I've, I danced when I was seven. I did classical ballet, um, destroyed my feet. I was in point on point um, on Toshis by the time I was nine. Um, yeah, and I just loved, yeah, being on, st- not being on stage performing, but I like, I guess I did, yeah, I liked the kind of, the concerts and, I don't know, just sharing joy and laughter and now that's what I do it for because I have so much fun, it makes me laugh so much and when I did my first one, the amount of people that said, oh, my God, you've made my day, like, that is so hilarious. Mm. And I think then I'm doing the right thing, I'm in the right place because if I can bring joy to others, I know people cringe at that sort of stuff because, you know, if I would see someone going, you know, like this sort of thing in front of the phone, I'd do a little bit of cringe, but now I get it why they're doing, they're just expressing themselves, it's another avenue to express and... Yeah, I love it and it's brought some women closer together. Like, you know, I did shared one today um, with Elise. So, you know, I interviewed her on my podcast and then we met and we said we've got to do a dance together. And, yeah, I think if it brings joy. You've done a few dances with her, have you? I keep saying them, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then Michelle, who I um, met after so long again, she's come up and yeah, just reconnected. So I think if anything touches the heart, brings joy, speaks to people, makes them laugh, you know, yeah. some people wait for the dancers now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> oh, my gosh. A new calling. But yeah, that's why I also taught body jam when I was going through kind of the fitness, going through working at fitness first, doing the group fitness thing. Um, yeah, but I love, yeah, I love um, helping people make them feel good about themselves, and yeah. you know, life's a dance. Yep, it is a real dance. Life is a dance. Have you um, has when you get um, middle aged women through are you noticing that they've lost that child? Totally. We've forgotten how to play. And is, do you um, incorporate that with them? To always. Bring it back? Yeah. Always. Always. Yeah. Got to keep it fun, keep it real. You know, my father died at 92 and, he's, and I said, what's your secret, Dad? Um, and he said, keep your sense of humour. Mm. Keep your mind busy and keep a good sense of humour. And, yeah, I'll – yeah, I believe that too. So, yeah, getting people – to do the things that they enjoy doing. Mm. Sometimes it, that can be a real challenge just to discover or identify what that is because we've lost our joy as well. Mm. That's why we're depressed. That's why we're angry. It's why we feel sad. We're stuck. We're lost. Um, so, yeah, doing, I encourage those to find something that makes their heart open, gives them tingles, you know, when you get that, those tingles, those good feel, yeah, yeah. feelings. I know. Yeah, I get those a lot. <laughs> well, I like to get those a lot. But it's, yeah, it's speaking to the soul and yeah. that's what I encourage and that's why I do the dancing reels. Um, I'm yeah. going to send mum to see. <laughs> She's happy. Send all the mums. <laughs> so I think what, what um, 
Callum or Jake or one of them said, I need to send my mum to you. It was like, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. Yeah. Yeah, I feel a bit of the, uh, the old woman and I'll, uh, yeah, I'll coach and look after all the others, <laughs> old ones as well. So the, um, with the mums that come through, what's the most kind of common thing or anyone listening that you know, um, that you notice that they could improve their health with, like the, the simple basic thing for everyone? For everyone or for the women? Well, both, yeah. Actually, let's do women For first. everyone, I would say the one thing that is usually missing to enhance someone's health is they don't drink enough water. I thought you'd say water, but I thought you'd say no tap water. Just, well, we can go there, but it, it's water. <laughs> it's water Drinking general. more water. Clean water, remineralized water, and an adequate amount of water according to their biology, their physiology. Yep. Cool. So how much is that? Is it you, unique? It is know? unique. It is unique. So you could do this uh, uh, calculation, multiply your body weight in kilos by 0.033. Okay. And usually that's quite shocking to most because they're not drinking enough. Mm. So, and I think that's really important. If I just usually give my clients or new people coming through or listening one thing mm. to add, not to remove, because usually removing stuff can be a stress. What can I add or implement to create more vitality and health? Yeah. And putting a pinch of Celtic sea salt in that water because it will remineralize the water with all of the trace elements in there. So that would be number one, and the same would be for the women that come in and work with me. Um, for the women, it would be really start to put themselves first. Okay. I give a comprehensive questionnaire and one of the questionnaires is what are your three priorities in life? Mm. And more often than not, they're not in the three priorities or they're at the bottom. Mm. So, for example, you know, my family, my kids, my career. Like, well, where are you? So that's what I would recommend them putting themselves first, yeah. doing things for them. Yeah, cool. Learning to say no. Because we're, yeah, yes, people, you know. I think mothers, a lot of us are. From, mothers, from being a, from children, from having children, do you think yes, that comes from? Yeah. Mothers, most definitely. Yeah, they put the kids before themselves. What about lime in water? Is that good? In Lime or lemon, yeah, alkalizing yeah. the water, yeah. Does it's, it help hydrate you? Or? Not so, not as much as the salt. It will help with the enzymes, digestive enzymes, putting lime or lemon in the water. It's nice, refreshing. I have lemon water in the morning, but not to hydration as the Celtic sea salt does because mm-hmm. it has those 70 trace minerals and elements that will hydrate to the cell. Yeah, right. So it's important to... Yes, have filtered water, making sure the filtration is taking out all of those nasties, like the heavy metals, um, the copper, the fluoride, the chlorine, but remineralizing it. Because if you take out, like if you're just filtering with a normal tap at home, sorry, normal filter on your tap at home, and you're taking out those things, I mean, I don't, for lack of a better word, the water's dead in my opinion. Yeah. So are you bringing it back to life with the salt or is that... Totally. It's yeah. actually, it feels softer when you right. put the salt back in. Okay. And you, yeah, it will give you energy. It actually gives you energy when you have that clean water and it's remineralized. Mm. But we forget to remineralize. And yeah, bottled water is great, but you know, bottled, most of the bottled is water it? is so acidic anyway. Mm. And, and it's in plastic. Plastic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if bottled water is good, in my opinion. It's better than better tap. Than, better than tap. I can't drink tap water. No. I can't even if you're if I'm thirsty and I have tap water I'm still thirsty. Yeah, yeah. No. I kind of go thirsty instead of having the tap water. I call it wet water, spring water, or rainwater. You know, it actually feels wet in your mouth. Whereas yeah. Otherwise, it feels kind of dry. Yeah, that's what the when you remineralize it with the Celtic sea yeah, salt. Right. It's kind of well, I kind of taste thicker. See, I'm trying to. Make it palpable in my <laughs> fingers, palpable in my fingers. But no, it's softer, um, and yeah, you'll definitely notice a difference. So that's the one thing. Right. 
It's not hard, really. What about hydration before bed? Because this is something that when I have a bad sleep, I, I think I've woken up dehydrated. But then if I drink water to stay hydrated, then I'm up going to the toilet. Right. So if you're drinking in the evening, you are probably not become hydrated throughout the day so you haven't drank you haven't drunk that adequate amount of that calculation i tend to not drink so much water after 7 p.m so you don't get up to go to the bathroom um yeah yeah, it's pretty simple so if you be consistent yeah so do 500 mils in the morning of your lemon water and then make sure that you've got you know 1.5 liters what however um weight however much you weigh Um, but also in the morning you're going to be dehydrated because our discs are dehydrated, the, the joints are dehydrated. And if we haven't drunk the day before, if we haven't hydrated efficiently the day before, then we're going to feel more dehydrated as well. But that's normal. That's why we feel a little bit kind of stiff and sore or back might ache in the morning because we are dehydrated. Um, and again, we're not um, hydrating enough. So get up and have two glasses. Or yeah, figure out how much, how much you need on a daily basis. Yeah. And that does not include teas or coffees, water, nothing substitutes for water. Have, yeah, 500 mils, but make sure you drink your quota up until, you know, five or six o'clock. If you're working out, you need to drink more. If you're taking saunas, you need to drink more. So bottle, I mean, body weight times 0.033 equals your water intake that you should be drinking daily in litres. Okay, cool. Do you want to do your calculation? I was going to before I didn't want to pick my phone up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It blows people away. It really does. Uh 0.033. So 2.3 litres. Yeah. Are you drinking that? I'd say that bottle I carry around is two litres, so, but then if I have a sauna, I don't know. Yeah, more. I definitely not every day. If I don't have Montville Mist or the BOR water, I just refuse, so that's my problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I should just. So yeah, most people, if they do that calculation, was like, oh, it would be going, oh my gosh. And a lot of the time I think, or I get, I can't do that, that's too much water. You know, so it's, you know, if you aren't, let's say if you're drinking a litre of water and you should be drinking 3.2, build up to it, you know, because we don't want to stress or flood the kidneys too much. Can you you drink too much water? I think you can at any given time. Depends on Hmm. how much, yeah, how much at once. I mean, there has been some... I guess flooding the kidneys and um, some problems with young people when they take ecstasy because they drink loads and loads of water. I mean, it's a combination of both, yeah. I don't know why that just came up for me, but I just kind of had an image of a news article of, uh, yeah, consuming copious amounts of water because of dehydration. Um, But, yeah, I'm sure you could drink... Is, I guess you could have too much of anything, right, mm. that could do damage. So how um, your current life, how much do you believe you've manifested or do you believe in manifestation? 100%. What, is that, what does that process look like for you? Um, manifesting, it has to be, it has to come from really deep, deep within because we can have a, a wish like, a, a, or, you know, I'm manifesting, you know, a million dollars, I'm manifesting a million dollars, you know, but it's writing it down. It's kind of what I would say is, you know, finding what your one love is, writing down your dreams. Um, manifesting is bringing it into your psyche, into your cells. So for me, that looks like writing down in a beautiful journal, um, everything that you wish to receive, that you wish to bring in mm. into your world, um, but writing it, not typing it, mm. and That's starting it with I am or I have. So it already exists in your mind? 
it's already there. That's kind of the same as a sankalpa at the beginning of a yoga practice or an invocation. It's putting it out there. What is it that I wish to receive today from my yoga practice, a sankalpa, repeating it to yourself three times, feeling it, ingraining it, embodying it, you know, and then hopefully receive. For me, for my husband, since we've been doing the work with Paul, it's, you know, identifying your one love, your one dream and putting it down and just writing down those steps to reach it. So, you know, I manifested for years, we both manifested the property that we have now. We manifested, you know, where it want, where we wanted to be, what it looked like, what the driveway, what kind of trees were there, you know, what you know, direction is it facing, you know, it's, you can manifest anything, you can bring anything into your world, gosh, we manifest enough bad shit, don't we, excuse my French, can I say shit, Um, but we, and then we don't believe that we can manifest anything, the possibility is endless, our possibility is endless, so yeah, I'm a big believer of manifesting, of prayer, of journaling, mm. documenting, expressing from here. I think it's a here. Yeah, it's another a connecting with mind to soul as well, mind to body connection. Mm. I um on the driveway thing. I remember my dad saying to me. I don't know what how I remember this. I was like five. We were in the house we lived in till I was eight, I think. And he said to me that when he was younger he like i don't know if he used manifestation as the word and i don't know if he believes in it but he um said it had this long driveway up the top of the hill like just summed up the house and then it was exactly what it was so it's interesting you said the driveway because you really kind of have to be specific too i drew a picture there's something i'm manifesting at the moment but i drew i drew what it's going to be like like as if i already own it 100%. Um, the amount of drawings that I've seen Donal, my husband, do of yeah. the property and what we want to create is insane because, you know, you can get an idea and, you know, I bring that in, you know. <laughs> um, it's like listening to Paul, you know, people ask why he can remember so many things in the books and the quotes like, or, you know, where did he come up with that idea? It's, you know, he wakes up and he writes it down. It's like having a journal. Um, beside your bed manifesting or whatever is going on in in the psyche, mm. I think if you become more still, you will have a better ability to manifest and bring that in to yeah. your to your world. Hundred percent. And the message and they are there. So once you kind of silence your mind in meditation, you just, the downloads just keep coming. Like it'll just come. It's like ah, oh. and then you can focus on it. I think I just wrote about this yesterday and I'm going to record it, but it was, I was talking about how many, how many of the 60,000, it was a part of it, how many of the 60,000 unconscious thoughts per day do we have that we're actually attracting the crap in and like you can't actually focus on what you want because you're unconsciously just walking around thinking about absolute shit like you said before. Like you're, you're very rarely throughout the day are people consciously thinking or not thinking, just being with the breath. So, you know, I catch myself sometimes just, I'm just like, what am I, how, why am I thinking about that? Like if I was to say that out loud, someone would think I'm a lunatic. But it's just I going on, that. like a monkey chatter just going on. The dance. Yeah. <laughs> so um, It's the dance, yeah, the dance from, it's, I love that. And I think that's an awesome place to move into or be at is when you can kind of step outside of yourself mm. And watch the conversations going on. It's like, you know, I'm having this chit-chatter. Why am I thinking that? It's yeah. it's so nice, I think. It's great. it's a great place to be at, to be aware of those conversations taking place and which one are we going to pay attention to or believe more so. Yeah. Um, you mentioned stillness of the mind. Do you feel that it's a stilling of the mind or distracting yourself from whatever's taking place in the mind when i'm doing like when you refer to stillness being still Um, do you still the mind completely depends which one i think if i'm doing 
I think it's hard one because I know what that f- proper piece feels like. But say with pottery and you're kind of focusing all your attention on the wheel, it's almost, it is distracting. You're distracting your mind to kind of give yourself a surface level stillness almost. Yeah. But the I know what when I'm in deep Vipassana, like deep after 10 days sit, I know what that pure proper silence feels like. It's only momentary. Right. But I know what that piece is and it's like no mind almost. I think Eckhart Tolle talks about it as no mind. But yeah. I don't know. It's a good point. Good question. I'm sorry. I just want to go into the host then and ask you a question. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Because <laughs> I like that conversation because I know when I'm going into, you know, meditation or you may have heard people uh, cue things in their meditation of, you know, descriptive points or taking you at a place and they say, just stop the mind, empty the mind, still the mind but as you said and it's that that eight limbs of having a point of focus the wheel for me it's mandalas like the mandala art draw the circle it's the wheel you know and whatever is taking place you become one with it Mm. it's kind of but all the other stuff can still be going on in the subconscious right yeah but it's just that yeah you're not in mind or you're out of mind Mm. And having that point of focus, and I guess in the meditation is when we lose ourselves, like we don't have that point of focus anymore. Yeah. It becomes all and nothing at the same time, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Is that that what you would describe it when you're in that place? Mm. Yeah, definitely. When you are no thing, Mm. but you are everything, So a lot of these, it's a lot that I wrote, I wrote like eight pages and I'm going to record it, but every, which is all coming back now. And I'm like, I'm literally about to say everything that I wrote about. But the other thing on that, um, the thought thing, the unconscious thinking, you, you can, like you said, if you sit back and observe it, I think you'll figure out why you're unhappy half the day or why you're always sad because you're unconsciously thinking, repeating the past or the future that no longer will have you know, say someone, um, you lost a relationship or a friend or something. The only reason you're possibly sad is because that person, all the memories you have, well, you can't experience them again in the future. Like that cannot happen. So you're focusing on either the past or the future. But if you take that away and you just sit there in pure silence in the present moment, you can't be sad for longer than a few moments. You just go, it's going to disappear because the only thing that's keeping you sad is the perpetual thoughts. So if you're unconsciously thinking about that over and over again all day, of course you're going to keep being sad. Mm. But really it doesn't exist the moment you decide it doesn't exist anymore. Mm. And I think isn't that just the challenge of people being able to sit with themselves? Mm-hmm. It's not being able to do that or not feeling comfortable enough to sit with themselves to go through those thoughts or to have the ability to step out of the thought and see the dialogue that can be so hard. I think this is why people are so scared to um, ingest mushrooms or go and have some ayahuasca or something because that's... To lose, just, lose the ego. You're going face-to-face with your demons and that's it. Yeah. So you should only, you're only really afraid of that stuff if you are, are scared of your own mind, really. Mm. Yeah, and the beliefs and from oh, yeah. trauma... You know, because you know, for some it might not be comfortable to sit with themselves or even know how to sit with themselves or stillness pending on, you know, that it could be a trauma that's held in the nervous system. Mm. It's absolutely fascinating. It is. Do we? <laughs> Will we ever understand it completely? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I think um, yoga nidra is really... Um, fascinating as well so i've done a bit of yoga nidra and that's kind of psychic sleep Mm. so being in that point of no mind but list being able to hear the instructions it's it's kind of you're going into different planes and and states of consciousness it's yeah i love it i haven't done it since i think they had a few on at Zenko Yoga years ago. They might still do it, but we're actually going to have an event at the studio um, 
soon a stillness event where we're going to go do some yoga nidra. Yeah, yeah. In um, in my yoga training, we would do a yoga nidra between lectures. Yeah, right. I don't know if it was. I don't know. I guess when you start yoga nidra, it's like when you kind of wake up, you like might be going <gasps> like you have you know dry dry mouth, or you're like you really actually fell really deep. That's yeah. not yoga nidra. So oh, okay. it's it's they call it a psychic sleep. You're not awake, but you're not asleep either. Yeah, right. You're in. Yeah, your your subconscious is listening and recalling everything that is being mentioned, but you're not really hearing it. It's just it's an interesting yeah, right. state of being. That shavasana state, that's kind of where you wake up going. Is that what you mean? Or is there like that's a different that's what's not nidra if you're in that. No. Shavas well it depends on how long you're in shavasana, right? Yeah. In most yoga classes they leave them there for 5 minutes. Yeah, yeah. What's that? <laughs> Leave me there for the next class. 20, <laughs> please. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just we need more of that, yeah. not the five minutes. Yeah, but yoga nidra is, um, I don't think it's practice. I think more in traditional yoga studios and yeah. um, teachings, maybe workshops, yeah. lectures, of course. Um one of my clients does yoga, yoga nidra all the time. It's really helped her mentally. Mm. Um, just again to, I guess, for someone to give you that directive for you to follow, which will guide you in that path. That's why I think some people love guided meditation and people, mm. some people just would rather not just have silence. Mm. I've been um, listening to didgeridoo actually sometimes when I meditate now. Really relaxing. <laughs> the Jiridu is beautiful. I'm um, going to be interviewing a couple of devotional musicians mm. on the podcast that get their music from meditation. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, Didgeridoo and, um, well, that's her brother. Um but um, what's the squeeze? The squeeze box. What's the? I don't know what that instrument is. But the guitar and things yeah. like that. But the didgeridoo, I think, because you you know, I guess it's balancing your chakras or whatever you need or wherever you need, kind of healing and balancing as well. Mm. The different tones can do that. I love the didge. Mm. I watched on this. I looked at my sleep score on the ring this morning and. It took me straight to deep sleep. Like I compared it to the last few nights and within like the first 10 minutes I just dropped into deep sleep for like the first hour. Wow. From so the didgeridoo. From the didgeridoo. Yeah, yeah. I think it's real um, like very sacral because yeah. of that deep tone. That's my guess. Because I find if I do like, you know, roll on the ball before bed but listen to that, yeah, just have a good sleep. Because mm. what I find if I do Vipassana before bed of shit sleep, like my brain's just, I don't know if I'm pulling up, pulling things out of my unconscious mind that are like deep and they're just irritating me, but I'll have like a, yeah, I won't have a good sleep. Interesting. But if I had to do that other, so I think, yeah, trying to juggle where to put your pasta in the morning maybe. Mm. Mm. Anyway, I've got one, do you have something? I was going to say, I haven't done Vipassana mm. because of a back injury I had. And yeah. the thought of sitting that long, mm. I feel that it would be more of a masculine energy and force. Yep. Am I right? Well, I've got an interesting story with... So I always... I've had this knee and it's good now, but I don't know what... I think I remember when we were in, when we lived in Greece and we were young, we used to run along and at school and like slide on my knees, like that penetration <laughs> of diving. And I honestly, that's the only thing I could think of that the pain came from but it I, it could have been a trauma that got released but it would come and go come and go after i did my first with us and i kept saying to the instructor i'm like it hurts to sit like i can't sit like this that he's like just one more day and then by day four sorry four or five it just disappeared and i was like oh okay thinking it'll come back you know um just observe it but it never came back again and that day five actually it was day five because i remember just bawling my eyes out that day and for the next day it was really on the topic of death and like um you know i literally had throughout that process had like 
lived the situation of every single person in my family dying. Like the, you know, mum, dad, like how many days, like to the point of like days left of living. And I think that was something, because I remember at the time my grandpa was 88 or something and I had like really close to him, he's still alive. But I remember asking him like, what's it like knowing you're going to die soon kind of thing because he's so old. Um, I think that was like really a ma- massive thing for me at the time, like this whole death thing, like what are we here for? And like we just die and where do we go? And so I don't know if there was like a trauma around, um, I know when I, we were living in Greece, one of dad's cousins died and that was quite experienced. So whether that attached to my knee, but that, that pain, like just observing it for four days and then the fifth day it just released and it never came back. Obviously that's not a back injury, but um, still an injury that just disappeared. Interesting. <laughs> So interesting. It's like, I guess, um, yeah, interviewed uh, Helen on trauma and just, you know, any traumatic experience, whether it's from an injury, an accident, or even from something that we've been told that we believe is stored in that connective tissue. And, and then we can start to believe it, which is, you know, it's ingrained at a deeper level. So that's really fascinating, perhaps... Um, Yes, I'd love to know kind of more of the science kind of behind that and mm. how it um, escaped your knee. Yeah. All I know is it never came back and I was stoked. Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah for the passion or whatever <laughs> happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that, the whole death thing left for me too. Like, I mean, it was pretty full on for me. Like I was just always kind of like, what's, you know, what's the point of everything? But now I'm like almost death, just the other face of energy and, you know. Do we really die? Are we even alive now? <laughs> I know this is a, you know praying to go to heaven. You know this yeah. we're in it. Yeah, this is heaven. Yeah, we're not praying. We're not going to heaven. Sorry, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> we're here. We're here. Yeah. Make the most of yeah here mm. now. Human experience. Yeah, but it's not to say I don't. I think we kind of probably are um, eternal beings spiritually. I don't think we're. I mean, we all go back to probably the one consciousness. Which we call God, and yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah, I'm I'm totally on board with that. Yeah, yeah, it's not one person or no. one entity. No, and when you start to realize how what you're saying before, before we started the podcast on the six degrees of separation, but how connected we all are, and you then you realize, you know, everyone's a mirror of you, and you start to realize that you are me, and we're all one, and there's no one else but me. Yeah. So then. I think that would kind of scare a few people, knowing that they're the only person that exists because we are all one. Yeah, <laughs> no yeah. when you think about it, it's like, oh, what? Um, but it's so relative. I mean, you we've only got to think about the collective energy, like even what we're thinking in the last two years, yeah. the heaviness, some days, some weeks, some months, like, it just, like there was just a heaviness and that yeah. is... The collective's thoughts, beliefs, narratives yeah. mirroring each other. Yeah, um, yeah. We all, it's it's real. Yeah. We so feel it. But yeah, we're just some are awake and some are asleep. Mm. And it, it also goes back to those unconscious thoughts. If you're consuming shit from the mainstream media, the mainstream narrative, or the narrative people want you to believe, and you don't question it, you don't consciously just think, well, maybe this is right, maybe it's wrong, but. And your brain's constantly, you've just incited fear in your brain and conscious, unconsciously throughout the day there's fear. Mm-hmm. And that's going back to the, the, to, the collective. Mm-hmm. Totally. So you have to, I'll probably throw your TV out if you listen to it still, but be conscious of what you're actually thinking about. Is it fear-based? Like whether you're scared of COVID or you're scared of the vaccine or you're scared of where the world's going, it's all still fear. It's yeah. still the same things. Fear's fear. And it's taking you out of this place right here, right now, where everything is actually fine mm. most of the time, right? Yeah. Yeah, literally most of the time. There's obviously bad things can happen, but really when you're so present, nothing really. Like think about even we go to religions like Jesus or Baha'u'llah or um, Buddha, like they all had, they were all in trauma. Like they were all in heavy and they all still had love for everyone. So nothing was really wrong for any of them. Mm. Yeah. They understood that presence. Mm. 
I don't think you can understand all of those things without the opposite either. You know, everything yeah, definitely is love and that comes from trauma. We can't understand what love and healing is without the trauma or that dark. Mm. I like that. Yeah, it's good. With the Vipassana, if you do want to go, you, I mean, it's hard to get into now with the restrictions, which hopefully get lifted soon and you can move on with life. But... um you can get a chair or you can get a stool and kneel because and, I know a lot of people just, I know sitting for that long to still, um, but you can like kneel up on a kneeling stool. And, mm. So if that is your reason for not going, um, there may be it's solutions. It's probably one, yeah, it's the, the joint because yeah. I remember um, sitting, you know, in mantra or in meditation mm. um, in India and then when I got back, I remember, no, I'm just going to push, <laughs> One meditation, I was at the beach and sitting cross-legged on the sand. I'm like, no, no, it comes into your mind. I'm like, I'm just going to keep breathing and I'm going to send light to that area. It's fine, it's fine, you know. And then afterwards, I came out of the meditation, then I got up and then I just fell flat on oh, my no. face because it wasn't fine. Like yeah, I had right. no circulation yeah, or right. anything in my leg. Um, but, yes, it's. I guess that's my... Reservations yeah. for not doing Vipassana. I've got a couple of friends that did it, um, but the same thing. Like there's a couple of days maybe when you're uncomfortable, but then you move through that or pass yeah. through that. And then I've had another um, – a woman yoga instructor um, said to me, it's really, really, really masculine. Yeah, right. It is the force. It's And there's a lot of that. But that's just, I'm coming from someone who hasn't done it and I'm just throwing yeah. other people's ideas out, right? I think I do. I mean, now you say, I've never thought of it like that, the masculine thing. Mm. And I don't think I too think, much masculine in the world today. We need more yeah. femininity. But it, then again, I can't do yin. Yeah, right. Oh, really? I see yin stuff because yin's, yeah, too. too. Yeah, right. See, I think, um, I wonder if, yeah, they balance each other, but... You're almost, you're almost the masculine to get the feminine from Vipassana, I'm thinking, because your mind's going through a really kind of that energy, whereas your body's in the masculine. I don't know. Would that be a possibility? If you're in a stressed state, you're in a catabolic state, you're in a... Masculine. If you're overstressed, you're in the masculine, yeah. yeah. I, if you're in, I would say, if when you're in no mind, when there is peace, when there's flow... You're, yeah, you're in the yin state. But if it becomes, I guess, yeah, it becomes a stressed response. If you're feeling pain and the mind's going, get me out of here, I can't, you know. Yeah. Right. But I guess it's that is the challenge of Vipassana, isn't it? Yeah, well, you get, to get out of that. You're learning to observe all sensations, whether they're pain or pleasure, as like equal, so equanimously. So you don't want to be. Because if you start going, oh, yeah, so good, the good pleasure is coming back, but then you're going to start craving that and then your mind is just always wants that. Whereas if you can kind of sit with all pain, pleasure, you know, anything in life, then you can, you can look at it all and then react rather than, you know, your, body, your mind will unconsciously react to all the good just without even thinking, then you'll start getting into bad habits of craving, I don't know. Alcohol, it feels good. We'll just keep going to that feeling. Yeah, the um, patterns yeah. and behaviours that you're so used to. Mm. So I think I don't know. I like. I quite like the. I quite, it kind of. I think it confused me for a while, and you know, I'm still kind of getting on how to explain that. But if you to look at to look at um, pain and pleasure as the same thing, or like good and bad, or. Um, there's a so I'm I'm thinking of it, it's like a, the two sides of the coin. Yeah. So, um, there's always two sides of the coin. It's always two ways of looking at things. So if I'm right and if I'm hearing right, um, are you in the kind of center of the coin? So you've got heads and tails. You can flip it either way, good or bad. But I'm staying neutral. Yep. In in the kind of. In Pretty the middle much, of the coin. Yeah. Yep. Cause you, and you're not reacting to either side mm. of the coin. Mm. You're just Which could being also... with whatever is. Yep. Mm. Yep. 
that's a real challenge, and I guess that's why they do ten days, huh? Yeah. Well, they find that. Um, I think they find that well, there's students who will go and always seek out the because once you get to the vibrations where you can just feel subtle vibrations through your body, that's kind of blissful, and then people start craving the and they come back and come. They're always coming back to that, but they're not actually progressing in their practice because their mind's still craving the bliss. Do you know what I mean? So you might have surpassed the pain, but now you're in a state where you're, all you're craving is bliss, 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 and your mind's still in that craving state, which craving creates suffering ultimately. So mm-hmm. yep. you've got to kind of look at the blissful things as, oh, cool, there they are. That was a bit of pain there. Was a bit, not react. Then it conditions your unconscious mind to not react to those things in life. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's well, what other meditation forms and Tai Chi can do. Yeah, right. Just, yeah, I think just taking time to get out of, out of your mind, out of yourself. That's good. Mm. All right, we might wrap it up. Anyway, thank you very much. It was a good conversation. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.